Well, it's uh, good to be back with you today. I'm, uh, I hate that I missed uh, last week, and I don't know if there was anything too exciting that I missed. seems like it was kind of the norm, um, except for maybe Richard brought some uh, snacks or something that I missed last week, and I ha- hate that I missed that um, for during lunch and everything, but uh, I-, I stole some last night, so it's okay. Well, I was at his house, so... Um, we do have a few people that are that are missing, and I guess Angela's not feeling too well. I know William is in Alabama, which is where I was, but he's just there visiting some friends. He said he'd be coming back today. Uh, he should actually be on the road um, here just a little bit. So I don't think he's going to make our afternoon class, but uh, I'm sure that um, that he will uh, miss that, and he, he wants to be here for that. But hopefully he will be granted safe travels back to us. Um, I did, want to, I did send an email out about James. I, I totally forgot last night, and so I apologize for that. But just a quick update on James. He's in a rehab facility now. It's really close to Pont City Market. So it seems like it's a really good location. They seem to be a, a pretty good facility from what I can tell. It's just going to be an adjustment for him. He's just going to have to keep recovering. He's going to have to build some strength. Hopefully they will be able to, in maybe a couple of weeks, get a prosthetic for his leg. And then he will be able to get back to whatever normal life that's going to look like, uh, given the circumstances. He, would, he just wants to get back to that. He's just tired of lying there. He's tired of having to deal with other people that he's not used to. And um, so hopefully, maybe we can get some things over to him from his apartment this next week. And that way, it kind of gets to be a little bit more normal than just sitting in a hospital bed for three weeks like it's been. So um, continue to remember him. If you want more details of where that is, um, we will send the email out. I see we, um, somebody, I will, I will send an email out uh, later on. And with some of the details, if you want to go visit him, you can go anytime. They don't necessarily have designated visiting hours, I don't think. They just said don't spend the night. And I said, don't worry, we won't. <laughs> so we don't want that. So, um, so for the lesson today, I, I want to uh, mainly be in 2 Corinthians, but we're not going to go there first. So if you want to go ahead and turn to 2 Samuel 11, we're going to look at two different examples, two different, two different men in two different situations. And I want to compare and contrast them. And then I want to compare them to us. And that's where we're going to go to 2 Corinthians later on. But first, we're going to be in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 11. We might have talked about some of these things recently. I, I, don't, I can't keep it straight if it's here, if it's in some of the uh, classes during the week that we have going on. But I feel like we talked a little bit about being ambassadors Uh, pretty recently. And so some of that's going to be reflected in in this lesson, but we're not specifically going to be talking about being ambassadors. Really, what I want to talk about is I want to talk about two different men who were carrying a message. And then the message was very different that they were carrying. But the message was also very similar in that the message was about themselves. And in a way, the message uh, was going to bring about something for themselves that was either going to be good or bad. And then what I hope to do is hope to show that the character that they show is the character that we're supposed to have because we have a message to carry as well. And the message is something about ourselves, but the message is not just about ourselves, but it's something that we are taking to someone else and it is speaking about something about ourselves, but also more importantly about somebody that is sending us. And so I hope that that will become clear as we go on that, that we can relate to these two men that we should uh, want to be like both of these men actually. Um, but also that there are some things in 2 Corinthians that I think will be helpful so that we can practically know what that looks like for us. So let's just start in 2 Samuel 11. This is the story of David. We call it the story of David and Bathsheba. But there's this other guy, part of the story. It's a pretty big part of the story. 
is name is Uriah. But Uriah doesn't have a, a major part in the story. Like he does, but he's the one that's like killed off midway. And you think, oh my goodness, this is crazy, right? And the, but then there's more of the story. But really the focus is around David, right? Because he, he's the main character. But Uriah could be a main character. Unfortunately, he's not. Because David doesn't allow him to be a main character. Um, but let's go ahead and read in verse 1. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. Let's skip down to verse 3. And David sent and inquired about the woman. So he sees, he sees a woman on the roof uh, bathing. And so he inquires about the woman. And one said, it is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. So David sent messengers and took her. And she came to him and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself for her uncleanness. Then she returned to her house. Now let's skip down to verse 6. So David sent word to Joab. This is after uh, it turns out that she's now with child. Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah came to, da- came to him, David asked him how Joab was doing and how the people were doing and how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. And Uriah went out of the king's house and there followed him a present from the king. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his Lord and did not go down to his house. When they told David, Uriah did not go down to his house. David said to Uriah, have you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah dwell in booths. And my Lord Joab and the servants of my Lord are camping in the open field. Shall I then go to my house to eat and drink and lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. Then David said to Uriah, remain here today also, and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. And David invited him and he ate in his presence and drank so that he made him drunk. In the evening he went out to lie on his couch with the servants of his Lord, but he did not go down to his house. In the morning David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. In the letter he wrote, Set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting, and then draw back from him, that he may be struck down and die. And as Job was besieging the city, he assigned Uriah to the place where he knew there were valiant men. And the men of the city came out and fought with Joab, and some of the servants of David among the people fell. Uriah the Hittite also died. And it goes on to say how Joab sent messengers back to David, saying exactly what happened. The messenger kind of changes the message a little bit. Um, but the whole thing is like, we kind of lost today, and part of that loss was Uriah the Hittite. That way, David would hear that they lost, but he would hear that really the loss was his own game because Uriah is dead. So what do we see about, about Uriah in the story? First, let's just say what we see about David. This was a time when kings go out to battle, and David's not out in battle. David is home in the comfort of his home while the kings go out. Everybody's supposed to be out there fighting, but David's not out there fighting. Uriah is out there fighting because he's one of his mighty men. Uriah is out there serving as a soldier. He's serving as, as a good Israelite. But David's not. Soldiers fight and servants serve. So that's where Uriah is. And David calls him in, and you know what? Even when he calls him in and says, why don't you just go home? Take, take some rest. Go home, eat and drink, and be with your wife. Soldiers fight and servants serve, so Uriah is not going to do that. 
He actually says, I'm not going to do that because your people are in booths and I'm not going to go to my home. Your eye has a good understanding of like, if all of the people of Israel are, st- are in tents and even the ark, right? The ark and Israel and Judah, they're all in booths. They're all in tents. They're not in their homes. I'm not going to go to my home. There's a little bit of a shade thrown at David there. I don't think David really cares about that. All he wants is, please just go be with your wife. Just, just make it to where there's no question about whose child this is that's coming, right? David doesn't really take the uh, shade thrown, thrown his way, I don't think. He doesn't really regard that. He just tries now to get him drunk, and it just doesn't work. So Uriah shows commitment and dedication. Commitment and dedication to the king. And commitment and dedication to the Lord and commitment and dedication to his service. He can be trusted without question. So that leads David to actually send a message by Uriah. And that's my assumption, at least. I don't know. There could have been other servants that David sends with Uriah that actually had the message, but it, re- it says that he sends it by Uriah. So here's Uriah holding a letter, okay? So he's got, he's got the letter right here in his hand, okay? Now, David's already tried to go get you to be with your wife, and you didn't do it. He tried to get you drunk, and you still didn't do it. Maybe David showed frustration. You want to know what's in that letter? <laughs> I would. I, I would just take a little peek. Is my, I mean, is my name at the top of it? If it is, then i got to see what else is in there. It doesn't seem, I mean, Uriah doesn't do that. And, and we don't know exactly, but I assume that if he, if he read it, he wouldn't keep going. Unless he's just that good of a servant and doesn't care. He doesn't care what the message of David is. But, he, but I think it's safe to assume he doesn't read the message uh, David knows he can trust Uriah. He knows that he can be trusted without question because of his commitment and dedication. So Uriah carries a message to his own detriment. The message is about himself. And the message is going to be that he's going to die. Like they're planning to lose a battle so that he can die. That's actually not initially David's uh, hope. His hope is put him on the front line. And when it gets bad, have everyone draw back. So he's just like killed. himself. That's not what Joab actually does. Joab puts him at the fiercest point of battle. They take some losses and he just makes sure that Uriah is part of the loss. Again, David doesn't really care. All he cares about is that Uriah is dead. But Uriah proves himself to be a good servant because he does exactly what the king wants. He does exactly what he's supposed to do. All right, so let's go over to the New Testament. Let's go over to the book of Philemon. I never thought about this comparison until last week. In the book of Philemon, you have Paul addressing his brother, a faithful servant. Part of that message is he's going to talk about another guy named Onesimus, who was a servant of Philemon, but ran away. He was basically a runaway slave. Um, And I don't think we should assume that that's because he was mistreated. I think he just wanted to run away. He didn't want to serve Philemon. He wanted to just be on his own. But in that path, as far as, as, as he's run away, he actually, Paul comes across him. He might have even come across him in prison. I'm not sure because Paul does mention his imprisonment, but he's in, it seems like he's in prison now. So that makes sense. But maybe he ran across him in prison. Who knows? But what happens is he teaches Onesimus and now Onesimus is a servant as well. He's a servant of God. And Paul makes it clear that he's a servant of him. So let's pick up in verse 10 of Philemon. He says, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. 
But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might, be, might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. No longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. So servants don't run from their masters without punishment, and Onesimus should be punished. But it's different now. It's kind of the, there's a different situation. There's a little, a little uh, wrench thrown in this process, which is that Onesimus is now a different man. Onesimus is a Christian. Onesimus has come to Christ, and he is, uh, Paul even says he's his father, right? He's his father in the faith, similar to the way he t- would talk about Timothy or Titus. Onesimus is useful to Paul. But he had no use for Philemon at one point because he ran away. But Paul says now he's actually useful to me and to you, Philemon. How can a runaway slave now be useful to his master? Like He's supposed to be just punished. He's useful because he's in Christ now. There is use for him. You don't just have to go through the court proceedings. You don't just have to punish him, uh, which is your right. You can, actually, you can do that. I mean, Paul makes it clear he's leaving it up to him. But Paul says some things that, I, I don't know, Philemon has a choice in the matter, but he knows he's really letting Paul down if he, if he doesn't do what Paul asks. And he does remind him, we actually read, he says, um, to say nothing if you're owing me your own self. Be like, hey, look, you owe me your life. I'm just asking you to do this for this brother, right? He's sent back with a message. Onesimus sent back with a message. And I'm assuming that he doesn't know what Philemon's response is going to be. Like, maybe he knows everything in this letter. And that's fine. But the one thing he doesn't know, just like Uriah didn't know, what's going to be the end of this? Like, Uriah didn't know what's in the message. Onesimus doesn't know what Philemon's going to do. Philemon has every right to do what he wishes. Onesimus was not useful, but now he is useful, and he's going to bring use from Philemon too. And that's one of the interesting things. Paul wants to have further use from Philemon, so he's sending Onesimus to bring about that good use from Philemon. Not just to prove Onesimus' worth, but Philemon, what is your worth? It's just crazy to think about, here's Uriah, who's sent by David, who at this point is corrupt. He, he, he's corrupted the, the, the throne. He's corrupted his own kingdom by his actions. And he sends Uriah to die. And here's Paul sending Onesimus to be useful to the Lord. But both men have proven themselves to be trusted. Both men have proven themselves to be committed and dedicated. So let's just compare and contrast these two men real quick. Like I said, both men are proven trustworthy and useful and committed. They're trustworthy because they, they're trusted with this letter. They're committed to the cause or committed to Christ. Well, Onesimus is committed to Christ, and we have Uriah that's committed to God and committed to his king. They're both useful. They're useful to the one that is sending them, and they prove their use to God. Neither knows the outcome of delivering the message, though. They just know they have a message to deliver, and they're going to do that. The message they carry is about them and impacts their lives directly. Uriah might not know that. Onesimus does know that, and he still takes the message. One man desired to return where he left, and the other had abandoned his service, but willingly returns. Think about that. 
Uriah, all he wants to do is go back to service. Onesimus, he ran away from the service, but now he's willingly going back, potentially to that very service. Philemon might decide not to make him a servant anymore. He might just count him as a brother, count you know the loss of him being gone for a while as just we're even, but he might not. And Onesimus doesn't know that. One carries a message that leads to his death, while the other carries a message that brings life and freedom to himself. Now, he's already experienced that life and freedom through Christ. But this life and freedom where he's relieved from this bondage that he was in would be even would not be greater than what he's already received. It'd be a more real life thing. It'd be something that changed his, his practical life now. And that's the message he's carrying. So what about us? How can we relate to that? Well, maybe when I talked about this at the beginning, maybe you kind of saw where I was going with this, that we are messengers of Christ as well. But we're not just carrying a message that is about somebody else. We're carrying a message that is about ourselves. We, are, we have been recipients of this message. This message is about us, and we are taking it because this is a message of Christ. Now, the message when I say it's about us, what I don't mean is that we're supposed to talk about who we are now. I mean, just look who I am. I, I'm changed. I'm this. We're not talking about um, when people talk about like witnessing to people and providing a testimony. It's interesting that sometimes that message is so much about themselves that you kind of lose sight of, well, who are you serving? The message is about the person you're serving, which is Christ. But we find our own identity in the message because of how we've been changed through Christ. And we're supposed to be trusted with that. We're supposed to be counted worthy of that. We're supposed to be prove our use to God in that. It's also interesting that if you think about the, the meaning of the, these two men, their, their names, my understanding is that Uriah's name means Yahweh is the light or Jehovah is light. And then you have Onesimus where there's this benefit and usefulness is the meaning of his name. What is God wanting to do through us as we have the gospel? Is he not wanting us to shine light on people? And is he not also wanting us to see how we can be used by him to shine that light? Uh, we're, I don't think we're supposed to be exactly like Uriah um, or Onesimus at all, actually. Not like Onesimus. But we are supposed to reflect that. We are supposed to be, uh, be at the core exactly what they were. Good servants, committed to the cause, um, shining the light that is from God and proving that we can be used by him. All right, so let's go ahead and go to 2 Corinthians. We're going to spend the rest of our time in 2 Corinthians, and I want to look at about four or five different passages in 2 Corinthians. We're just going to be actually within the first five chapters. We're just going to look at a few different things and make some observations. What I want to do is I want to see what Paul says about himself and about these Christians that he's writing to that show the character of the messenger and how that matters. But then what I want to also do is to show how we are to take ownership of this message not that we become messengers only, but we just take ownership. We find our identity in the message. All right, let's start in 2 Corinthians 1, and let's just look at 12 and 13. Paul says, For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience, that we have behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God, and supremely so toward you. For we were not writing to you anything other than what you read and understand, and I hope you will fully understand. So Paul shares that they brought this message to Corinth a certain way. They weren't self-seeking. They're not double-minded. They brought the simple and true message from God. 
They're not trying to manipulate. They're not trying to find any other gain from this. They're just teaching the truth. And they're just, they brought that. They show their character in doing so. They show that they're genuine and they're pure in their speech and in their character. So that way the, the teaching can be clear. They, got, they wanted to get out of the way of the teaching. So they just prove themselves to be true, not hypocrites. And they present this gospel. And they, that's how they've taught them. They also, he also compares this earthly wisdom versus God's grace. Not earthly wisdom versus God's wisdom or heavenly wisdom. But if you notice there in verse 12, he says, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God. They're not trying to just get more people. They're not trying to, to just say things that, that will be appeasing to the, to the listeners. They're trying to just preach God's grace and take that to people. They prove themselves to be consistent with what's been said in their character, but also in the message that it's consistent. And that they, and he wants, this is all done to help them understand more. Not so that they're more confused and have more need of Paul, which is another interesting thing. I think the teacher of the day would probably have given some information, but left them wanting so that, oh, you actually need me more and more. Paul wants to make everything clear to them. He wants to give more understanding to them. Now, in doing that, they would actually see their need for him, but they would see that he's not saying he is the one that's needed. He's saying that, no, you just need the message from God. You just need the teaching. So what's the lesson from, that we get from this as far as the character of the messenger? That we don't try just to get followers. That's not what Paul was about. Paul was about the one that was sending him and not about himself. And that's how it needs to be for us. When we try to teach people, when we try to help people and work with people, it is not about them regarding us as anything. It's about them turning to God. Now, in that, are, are we acknowledging that God is using us? Yes. I mean, we have to acknowledge that. But we're not just trying to get followers. We're trying to get people to turn to God. So that makes the, the character of the messenger matters in that way. All right, let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and read verses 1 through 6. Paul uh, continues by saying, Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ or God, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Christians are supposed to prove something about the gospel. Now, I realize that he is talking about himself and maybe his, the people with him or maybe the other apostles, potentially. But in some way, this is not just about him and the other apostles or, or the other people that are working with him. In some way, this is about all people that are in Christ. We have no need of outside confirmation. Paul uh, has them. He doesn't need letters of recommendation from other places. He can just point to people, point people to the Corinthians. Say, they are my letter of recommendation. Among their own community, if, if people wanted to say, what's the proof of who Paul is and what he teaches? They should be able to look to the Christians and say, there's the proof. So in that, we are to prove something about the gospel and about the message that we've received. He said that they are a letter written on his heart, meant to be read by all, which is an interesting thing. You would think that 
he would say, you are the letter written on others' hearts. But he says that they are the letter written on his heart. So he, they mean something to him. But he says that it's meant to be read by all. He says they are a letter from Christ because the Spirit is written in their hearts, though. They don't have just letter with ink. They have this letter. They have this, they have this gospel that's written on their hearts because the Spirit is written on their hearts. And then he goes on to say that all sufficiency and use is from God, but they prove this in their life. And if you remember the reading that we had from the end of 2 Corinthians 2, there was this question at the end, who is sufficient for these things? Well, who? And the answer is nobody, but only God. Only, those, only, only through God can anybody be sufficient. Can anybody be this fragrance? Can anybody be this aroma of Christ? Can anybody be anything of value to those around you? It's only through God that you can be that. So, so what's the lesson from this? Well, I think one of the things that we need to understand is what is written is meant to be read. Not just like what's written here, but what is written on your heart? What is the, the thing and the teaching and what's the core of your beliefs that, that are just ingrained in your heart? What are the things that you have taken in that are the scripture, that are the words from God? Well, just know that those are meant to be read by all. Those aren't meant to just be a benefit to you. And they're not meant to just be brought out when you have some uh, grand theological discussion. They're meant to be read by all. The gospel is meant to be read through our lives. If we have the gospel and the spirit in us, then we are useful to God and we're meant to be read. But we must prove ourselves to be trustworthy, just like Uriah and just like Onesimus. We need to show our, our commitment that we are changed, but we need to prove ourselves to be trustworthy that we can be useful to God. All right, let's go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul continues in chapter 4, beginning of verse 1. He says, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Christ Jesus, Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So something else about the character of the messenger is that if we have received this, this gospel, then we have received the light of Christ and now we shine out of darkness. Like we have received light and now we become light that shines out of darkness. We don't have a veil anymore, although he does say that there is kind of a veil. Those that don't believe are still in darkness, so there is a veil. But that's not a veil that, that needs some sort of supernatural thing like, for instance, when Jesus was on the cross and the veil was torn in two, where that some, some kind of crazy thing needs to happen for the veil to be removed. The veil is only there because of their disbelief. And if we teach and if they believe, then the veil is removed. And now they're able to see the full light that is in the gospel. They're able to see that Jesus Christ is the Lord. They're able to see him as he is. And in that way, they're able to see God, which is something the Old Testament no one could do unless there was a veil. So you see how through what we have and through teaching, through sharing this gospel with people, this veil that allows that does not allow people to really see God as he is, is now lifted because they see Jesus Christ as the Lord. 
So God is showing the light through Paul and others, but, but how is he doing that? He, said, he says that he's doing that through those that have the light in them. So God shows the light of the gospel through those that have received the gospel and are believing in the gospel. So we've come to a knowledge of Christ. And we have this light in us. So what are we supposed to do? Well, we're supposed to reflect the glory of God and we're supposed to be committed to him, even if it means that we are totally changed. Like we have to be conformed to this gospel, this message that we've received so that way we can be of use to God and we shine this light now. So I hope that like a couple of things I just want to bring out uh, before we go to, to the next, uh, to the last little bit is our character matters because Paul says that his character mattered in how he taught. Our character and who we are matters because he says, you now are this light. You now are this representation of God. You now are sufficient. We've been counted that way by God, but only if we prove ourselves to be committed and dedicated and trustworthy, not only to living out our life, but to handling this message and this gospel the right way. We need to be as trusted as Uriah was. We need to be as trusted as Onesimus was, that even if it means to our own detriment, we're going to take this message. You can trust me. That's what I, think, I really do think that that's what God is, is wanting to see from us. All right, so I think this is only going to happen when our whole identity changes, when we find our identity in the message itself, when we take true ownership of this message. Not that it's ours, but because we find our life through this gospel, it kind of is ours now. Like, it becomes who we are. So let's continue in 2 Corinthians 4 and let's begin in verse 7. Paul says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. A couple observations from, from this text that might help us. This power that he speaks of is seen by not folding in trials. Uh, this power of God is seen by those that are, have received this gospel and are believers showing that they will continue to hope even when it seems like all hope is lost. They were perplexed. They were stricken. They were persecuted. They were beaten. But what did they do? They pressed on. And, and where did they get that example? Was it not from Christ himself? Like he says that about himself and says, this will be what happens to you. And what about us? When we are beaten down. Now, usually when we talk about this, at least in this country, at least in this part of the country, we like say emotionally beaten down and things like that. As opposed to actually beaten down because we're out, out there teaching the gospel. But whatever that looks like. I mean, let, let's be as literal as we want to be or as loose as we want to take this. When we are beaten down for the cause of the gospel, not for just my own sake, but for the cause of the gospel, when I am cast out, when I am feeling like I've been treated wrongly, whatever it might be, the fact that I keep pressing on and I show what my hope is in 
communicate something about the message. Not just about myself, but about the message, about the one that is sending me. The power of God is seen through us. And he also said that the life of Jesus is seen. We, we do this because we, of the hope of life. Not, not the hope in this life, but the hope that comes from the life that, is, that comes after death. So we then are able to give life to others in that way, which is kind of interesting. If you, if you look at verse 11 and 12 and read that again, it, it's a little bit interesting how he words that. Maybe I'm just reading that wrong. But when he says, we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. It's like as they die, as they are being put to death, the life of Jesus is seen more and more. And I don't know if he means, I think he means physical death, but let's just say that he doesn't literally mean as they are on their deathbed, the life of Jesus seen, as they draw back and are, and are not seen in their life, as they re- don't regard themselves to the flesh, as they don't think about the here and now and, and the worldly things, and they think about the spiritual things, and they just press on for the life that is to come, the life of Jesus is seen in their lives. And what does that do for other people? He says, death is at work in us, but life in you. So Paul is saying, as we have done that, we do that. Death is at work in us, but for the Corinthians, life is at work in them. The fact that the life of Jesus is seen in him as he, as he is cast aside and beaten up, like that does something for the people. That does something for those people that are Christians. It, it helps them to see their purpose. It helps them to see how they are to live. It gives them life now but then it gives them life forever as well. So that's what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to show this power of God in the midst of trials. And we're supposed to show and prove the life of Christ so that it gives life to other people. It gives them purpose now and it helps them attain eternal life forever. And the last passage I just want to read is, is over in chapter 5. 2 Corinthians 5, beginning of verse 16. Paul says, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. We have received and now proclaim a message of reconciliation and righteousness. Uh, He says that in our flesh, we show this unity and bond with Christ because we've now been reconciled. We once were separated, but now we've been reconciled. And we're supposed to be taking that to other people. We're supposed to show that in our life. We're supposed to share that with each other. But then he also says that the righteousness of God is seen. So our character is to show the righteousness of God. It's not supposed to just be uh, my character. It's not supposed to be my righteousness. It's not supposed to be what other what someone else says. Is, it's supposed to be the righteousness of God that is seen through me. And that's in the midst of faults. That's in the midst of, um, of my sin, right? That, that's, that's not to say I can continue to sin and somehow then produce the righteousness of God. 
Paul would talk about that in Romans when he talks about grace and says, certainly not. I'm assuming that the righteousness of God cannot be seen through my sin here either. But we are used by God and useful to God because we have received this message. We are changed by this message. And now we live out this message. So in a way where Onesimus and Uriah, they carried the message, but they kind of also were the message because what was, in the, what was in the message was all about them. It's kind of the same for us. Um, except the message that we carry is not about us. It's about Christ. But we find our identity so much in Christ that it is about us. And in that way, we share that with other people, not so that they can find like a better life now, not so that they can just follow us, not so that they can just find more purpose and just feel better, but so they can truly find their identity in Christ. And that's only going to be if we prove ourselves to be trustworthy to God and useful to him in his service and we're committed. But we got to be people that carry this message in a way that would give God the glory and not just glory ourselves. So here's just some, some points as we wrap up. We must see our usefulness to God. And if we don't see that, then we, we need to spend some time in prayer. We need, some, we need to spend some time maybe in 2 Corinthians. I think that's a great book to study to to see how can we be used by God. Like Paul says things about himself, not to boast about himself, but for other people to see how much he's committed to the gospel. So we, we should be like Paul in that way. We can only be useful to him if we prove ourselves to be trustworthy, committed, and be true servants. And this message that we've received and that we benefit from is now the message that we carry. It's the message that we proclaim to other people. It has changed us and it now controls us. We, we are compelled by Christ. We will carry this message no matter what it will put us through, no matter what the end is in this life for us. I don't personally know anybody uh, that I have met at all in my life that um, carrying the message and, and teaching the gospel led to, their, led to their death or led to them being imprisoned. But I know that happens, and, and I just don't know those individuals personally. What would you be willing to go through to carry the message, to carry the gospel? Well, we have a message of life, even if it brings about our death. So we should be willing to go through it. We need to be committed to, to this cause. And the more we die, the more Christ lives in us, the more we bring life to those that are dying spiritually. And I'll tell you how I think this applies to me because I don't think I'm going to get beat up for uh, when I walk out. Even if I, if I start shouting on the street, I, I mean, I don't really, I don't think someone's going to cause me physical harm. They might, but you know, I got some of you to back me up, I guess, but I, I just don't think that will happen. But I, I, I fear embarrassment. I fear, I don't, I don't really fear rejection as much as I used to. Um, that just happens as you get older, I guess, right? But I fear embarrassment. I, I, feel standing, I fear standing out. I, I fear the consequences of, of me committing fully to say, this is all I'm about. Because I have my own desires. I have my own things I want. I got my own, just my own stuff. But the more we commit ourselves to Christ, the more we lose all of that. And that's a scary thing. I, I really think that one of the biggest things that, that will stand in our way of being as useful as we can to God is fear. Um, stubbornness might be there. Um, 
It could be a lack of knowledge. It could be a lot of other things, but I, I really think fear. Fear needs to be cast out. Um, if we truly believe that we find life through Christ, then there's no fear. There's no fear that should be there. And, and if you are here and you have not received this message of reconciliation, then you need to know that you have that opportunity to be reconciled with God through Christ. But it's only in Christ. And if you're not in Christ, you can't be reconciled to God. There still remains a barrier. There still remains a veil. And if we can help you take away that veil, if we can help you break down that barrier, that's what we want to do. But for those of us that are in Christ, that have been reconciled to God, we have a lot of work we, we know we need to do. And sometimes I think it's hard for us to know what does that look like. Well, I would just say that the first thing it looks like is we have to find our identity in Christ and dispel all fear. We have to prove that we've been changed through this gospel and that we are being transformed according to the gospel. And in that, people will notice something. And that will provide us opportunities to just tell people about this message. Um, so I think that, that we see, like, I'm not supposed to be just like Uriah. I'm not supposed to be just like Onesimus. It's a totally different message that we're carrying with us. But we need to show that character, and we need to show our usefulness to God. It's also kind of interesting um, when you think about just the idea of being useful. It's like, well, I don't know. I think other people are a lot more useful than I am. Well, that's just according to, to the flesh. <laughs> and what did Paul say there in 2 Corinthians 5? We regard no one according to the flesh, even himself. He doesn't regard Christ in the flesh anymore. So whatever it is you think your weaknesses are, we can talk about those and we can like brainstorm how to you know, still be workers and, and useful and everything. But just realize that if you're thinking according to the flesh and thinking how those are weaknesses or hindrances or whatever, you're thinking with the wrong brain. You're looking through the wrong eyes. Christ can use you and he wants to use you. Um, we just have to make sure we take his gospel to other people. So I hope that this is helpful and maybe... Maybe it's a little bit inspiring for us. I feel like I need to do more. And this lesson kind of just came from that. So if you do need to be in Christ and be reconciled to God, uh, let someone know when we sing the song. But if you just need prayers uh, to help you in your service, to help you in your walk with the Lord, um, I would encourage you to talk to somebody as we sing as well. Or if you want to talk after we, after we break, that is also okay. Uh, we're going to sing a song of invitation so we can be thinking about these things and be encouraged to, uh, to think about our spiritual walk and our walk with the Lord right now. Um, so let's stand and sing.